0: Hey, welcome back for another episode of Last Lend, and Eat the Podcast. Thank you so much for supporting us and listening. Uh, also, a big shout out to One Good One and First Option Mortgage. We really appreciate all that you guys do for us behind the scenes. In this episode, we meet up with Molly Ruland, owner founder of Hardcast Media. Hardcast Media is known for developing new podcast talents all day long. And uh, i got to admit, uh, this is where I recorded my first podcast a year ago a special place in my heart for Molly and Hardcast Media. Hope you guys enjoy this. Thank you. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Laugh, Land, and Eat, sponsored by one good one and also First Option Mortgage out of Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, good guys, really good guys, uh, especially since I work at First Option. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Today, we have a very, very special guest because this guest was the owner. Well, let me just give you her name. Her name is Molly Ruland. She is the owner of HeartCast Media, and this is where I did my very first podcast. Molly, do you remember that moment? I do.
1: I do. I I definitely do.
0: And Molly, you were very gentle. You were very loving being my first ever. so I appreciate (laughs) that.
1: Hey, man. And now look at you. You know, you're all growing up.
0: I uh I uh it's it's a it's a it's a lot of you know it's a lot of lessons in 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 doing these podcasts. I mean, I didn't realize the amount of effort that this takes. For sure. Um I I mean, I was looking at your uh resume or bio this morning and I was kind of going through all these things and like you started Hardcast Media really less than 2 years ago. Yeah. So what made you like open up a a media company two years ago?
1: Well, so I've owned a multimedia company for the last 22 years, if you count hardcast media. So previous to that, I owned a company called One Love Massive, which is a... Uh, We supported art, music, and culture, you know, by supporting uh, booking artists, managing artists, booking events, running stages, all of that. So um, for 20 years, that's what I did. Uh, But it was really focused on hyper-local music, right? Like DC, DMV artists, uh, very, very specific, very niche, very local. Um, And it started – So it started a very long time ago. I started throwing parties. I was in the mortgage industry back in the day, and Mm -hmm. I started booking reggae bands at Ziggs in Alexandria. You remember Ziggs? Um, And that's kind of like I did my first party at a place called State of the Union in Washington, D.C. on 14th and U. Uh, And then I was doing like booking reggae bands, and it was just sort of a side thing that I did for fun. Uh, And then after spending 13 years in real estate finance, I... Just sort of had a moment I got out before the, the market tanked and the rates started mm-hmm. going up, um, but I was there I was you know I was in that business in 1995 man I remember the first hundred no, percent no. financing loan you know we're,
0: we're going to go back there I mean I've I, yeah. I, I, I I got a bunch of notes I want to walk you through, but I was I was just really because my experience with you with the hardcast media was very favorable
1: that's awesome Unfortunately, the,
0: the company that I was at at that time, you know I mean they had another agenda I was unaware of that. Uh, but I just thought it was such a cool office environment that you had there. You know what I mean? Like you're above the DT- D.C. downtown area. Yeah. Like, if I remember, right, it's like a museum building or something. Yeah, it
1: like Castle Mansion Museum, like yeah. amazing and space.
0: The, and I came from the music industry, right? So for me, being a, like a musician going to recording studios, yeah. like there was like cool recording studios with some cool vibes. Yeah. And you can always lay down some really good songs at night.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: The environment is everything for sure. Right. So, to me, when I saw your studio, it just brought back a lot of memories. And then it was like, you had to buzz yourself in through the back elevator. And the elevator <laughs> was up a <laughs> little here. <laughs>
1: I'm like, trying to be like, uh, stretching Bobito. I'm like, you got to let him up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, are you still running the Hardcast Media? Because you just said you're in North Carolina now. Are you still running in DC or what are you doing there?
1: Well, you know, it's kind of unfortunate, right? I think this is part of like, uh, you know, in times of crisis, people figure out who they are. And I had that studio and I loved it. We were very, very happy there. But the reality is we couldn't use it for March. We couldn't use it for April. We couldn't use it for May, you know, and then now they're just opening things up. So I, I was looking at three months of paying a commercial lease on a space that I couldn't use. Uh, and unfortunately the landlord there, um, was not willing to work with me at all and also stopped cleaning the building and everything else and told her employees that they could work from home but her reasoning was that you know they didn't lock the building and so we could still use it and I said well then I would be defying the mayor and putting my staff in jeopardy like I'm not gonna and my clients like I'm not like I don't understand like uh and so it ended very very poorly honestly uh, and i gave my notice and i went and packed up my stuff and they still charged me for may even though i wasn't there hmm. and uh you know we all make choices right so that's sure. one good thing coming out of this pandemic is we're really seeing who uh, well it's like the pandemic followed by like the next civil rights movement <laughs> right. uh we're, we're really seeing who's on the right side of things and who isn't right now that's for certain
0: and you know, t- talk about this current state of affairs with the civil rights movement, right? And, and we can call it the current civil rights movement. We can call it the movement. We can call it whatever we want, right? It's living color right in front of our faces. Indeed. Um, and nobody that I know of can can deny it, except maybe a few people that I may I'm, I don't know. <laughs>
1: Unfortunately, politics, bumped into. Away from politics. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you mo you posted on LinkedIn the other day, which was very interesting to me that they took your stuff down or that you couldn't post a picture or what was that about
1: um because i changed my profile picture to say black lives matter and they took Uh it down saying that it was uh offensive to who well apparently all the fragile white men who i had been arguing with that day about racism is my guess
0: wow so that's interesting because see i guess you have a different stream right because on my stream I'm seeing a bunch of mortgage guys posting about Black Lives Matter, right? One company, one company actually went out and, and had a couple of their uh, uh, African American employees give testimonies and that kind of stuff and posted that video up there. Right. So it was really nice to see all this coming from the mortgage side, which is this kind of a button down totally. bank environment, right? Yeah. That tries to kind of like stay away from this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? So Every corporation in the world, like, I don't I don't know if you're hip, but even like in Paris, they're protesting. Like the whole world is protesting right now, right? right. And right. every corporation in the world has come out with a statement saying, you know, solidarity. And uh, some of them are apologizing. A lot of them are starting funds, you know, for various purposes. But for some reason, the general temperature on LinkedIn is that you shouldn't this is a professional network and we shouldn't be discussing those things. And I say that as, it couldn't be any more incorrect. We're job creators. We are right. part of the problem. We are, we right. are 100% the problem. We control right. the economy. We control the job market. And we're just going to act like this isn't happening. And you're going to shame me yeah. for bringing I mean, it up on this professional platform. I mean, it's really telling
0: just just FYI, I mean, I, I know people sometimes, they hear this podcast maybe two, three weeks later. To, so today is June 4, 2020. And at this moment, mm. I guess, and I'm not sure about Minnesota time, maybe it's another hour away. But the George Floyd Memorial will be, will be either, it's happening right now, it's going to start in an hour. Mm. So, you know, we're all kind of very raw and sensitive to okay. what's going on. Um, and and so me especially being a uh, let's let's be honest a brown guy who's a, who immigrated here from Pakistan right I was five years old I didn't know any different till one day someone cracked a, a egg on my head during the Iran hostage crisis in 1978 or 79 you know I mean in Andal, Virginia and that was the moment that I realized that I really wasn't as American as I thought I'd been mm. um, and you know you, you you try to get past that and you move past that right and you don't hold on to it. But I'm, like I said to you earlier, I'm very happy that this conversation, this dialogue, has spilled into the streets.
1: Yeah, I agree, mm-hmm. I agree, uh, and I think that you know, so many people are like, well, I agree, but I don't agree with the destruction. It's, it's like, it just doesn't, it doesn't work that way, right? It's like, oh, okay, that's fine as long as it doesn't impact us in any way. You can be as mad as you want, as long as it doesn't impact us, right? And so, of course, I'm not advocating to, like, destroy a small business property. Of course not. Like, of course not, right? But, like, well, what's it going to take, right? You know, like, what's it going to take, right? And so, I'm not going to encourage that, but I'm also not going to discredit it, right? Like, because... I think if we're really going to discredit like the extreme violence, we should be looking at the police officers and the military and the unarmed guys and or the the armed guys in DC that have no uh, identifiable yeah, I heard marks, like
0: the the board of prisons or something. I heard that yes. some, and they didn't want to identify themselves so they could have broader range or something. I read this morning. Yes, and prison that,
1: but... guards are like the lowest on the food chain in the like police officer lineup. No. Wow. Yeah. Like that is like the like if your life sucks and you're low key racist and you hate people, you probably should work in a prison. Oh no, I
0: mean that's terrible. Prison Obviously, should be. Obviously, if you're a prison guard, like, listen to this podcast. This is Molly's opinion. <laughs> yes,
1: although although no, right? Like I kind of have to question like. I don't know man everything needs to be reformed right so like you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution right and it doesn't mean that everybody has to be an activist, but you also don't have to go work for the man and so it's like this conversation of like Not all cops Well, like okay I'm sure there were plenty of like Nazi guards who were very nice to their family members. Sure, you know what I I mean mean, and their community members just not certain people so like where do we draw the line you know, you know the biggest
0: thing from nazi that that whole occupation over over the other lands and all that stuff the like the, you hear their stories and you hear the soldier stuff say well i was just following the orders and you can mm. put that statement to bring this forward to 2020 and you can see the same parallels for sure where people are going to say well we were just following orders we didn't really know this was going to be happening like this and it takes right. a moment like this for all of us to kind of wake up and say, you know what? It's just not acceptable. Yeah. This can't go on any further.
1: Yeah, I think uh, I'm like you, Fabi. I'm like hopeful. I'm hopeful that this is going to really bring some real change and people will be more accountable and that conversations will change. Um it's same thing with the pandemic, right? Like I think people are going to be a lot more intentional with how they spend their time and their money. And I don't know about you, but I'm working harder every year. I'm working longer hours every year. And it's not like I'm getting a new beach house every year. Like, I don't know. I'm waiting for those benefits to kick in. Right. And I've just, well, you know, yeah, come
0: to talk about that. Now the mortgage business has not slowed down at all since this pandemic hit just an FYI on that. We've actually had a very amazing last 90 days. So you got in the mortgage business. I was looking at this like in 96.
1: Yeah. Well, 95, I
0: think, but okay, I, I got in 94, right? So you yeah. like a year after me. And then yeah. obviously I looked through your resume or your bio and I, I saw some names that stuck out. Like I think we've talked about one of them already. Yeah. Um, but the other one was interesting is that you really stayed in until the long haul. I mean, you didn't like, this wasn't like a, a fad or something where yeah. I, I see a couple of people who like go in for a couple of years, like Right. you were in until 06.
1: Yeah, I mean I I put some time in the game. And uh <laughs> Yeah, I mean I saw it all. You know, I I mean I remember 100% first Jefferson mortgage, 100% financing, the 80/20, yeah. and it was an 899 on the first and a 1499 on the second and that was with bulletproof credit, right? Like I remember all that. I and when yeah. I got out, they were doing 125% second mortgages yes. and yes you know, I just, I'll keep it 100 with you. Like I hit a point where I had been robbed by so many people in the mortgage business. I had worked with so many people with questionable integrity Sure. that I just couldn't do it anymore. And it was industry-wide. It wasn't just the small brokers, man. Like, you know, I'll never forget, like, you know, putting a loan package together and I mean this is back in the day I think we were joking about this how like you had to copy three packages and the echo <laughs> yeah, fasteners <exactly>. and like, <laughs> like we we like personally killed a bunch of trees like for real but <laughs> at least um, oh god horrible <laughs> and like the laser trees. courier and like trying to like the whole thing well you right? knew
0: where the FedEx delivery truck was or yeah. the kind of, like if you had to go to like remember Eisenhower Avenue or whatever for, totally. the, for the last drop off
1: yeah <laughs> and I would come from buoy sometimes you know what I mean <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) to get to that like drop off yeah i mean it was insane but like you know it just got to the point where i you know and i was pretty young when i got into it and i I, like you know just started to wake up a little bit you know and 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 you know you're trying to get a loan approved and the underwriter at countrywide says you know hey molly i need a w2 it says eighty six thousand, and i'm like okay but he, he makes uh 67 and they're like molly right I need a W two that says eighty and I'm like, but he makes Molly. So when the underwriter at countrywide is encouraging you to falsify documents to close the loan, there's a problem.
0: There's a problem. There's a problem. And it
1: and it wasn't just the small brokers. Yeah, and it wasn't you know white people taking advantage of black and black and you know it was spanish people taking advantage of spanish i mean it was just industry-wide there was so much corruption and and entire we were out of control. Communities. We, were out,
0: we were absolutely out of control i mean there was no doubt about it one thing yeah. that i will say um i was not fortunate enough to be able to get out of the business right i i, I actually am very passionate and i love the mortgage business i mean i have always have been it's one of those things i just coming from an immigrant community to help the immigrant people buy their homes. I, I always, now look, I mean, I made money off of it. I'm not going to, I'm not embarrassed about that, but at the same time, I never, yeah, I didn't mistreat them. Right. And I, I I earned a pretty good reputation, but I just love the idea of always being able to talk about, you know, creating wealth in America through real estate. Right. And, And that was really what we were really pushing. You know what I mean? It was like, look, buy your house. And listen, I'll be honest with you. I pissed off a lot of realtors because I would say, dude, your guy does not qualify for this house. It's
1: too much house. Yeah. yeah. You
0: know what I mean? And I would tell people, if you buy a house, this is a real line I would tell people, and you come home and your kid wants a pizza and you got to think about spending 20 bucks, don't buy this house. Right. Don't buy it. It's not worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they would look at me like, what's wrong with Fabio? And I would just, because it was just the right thing to do
1: well yeah because and i and i'm with you like i love subprime lending i loved it i loved when like people were like i'm the first person in my family to ever own a house like i loved that i loved that self-employed borrowers could get in the game and create that like secure like i i that's why i loved it too and i love the challenge of different loans and i would close like 30 deals a month you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like I was a, I was a beast, you know, like yeah. one of the companies I worked for my office was bigger than the guy who owned the company. And they were just, they <laughs> were just like, like my boss, I was so good. I was like 22 and like, my boss would like throw me the keys to his like, convertible Jeep and on a Friday and be like, Oh, I got you a hotel room at ocean city for you and your boyfriend. And then like Charlie would come in and give me like 500 bucks and Anthony would be like, (laughs) stop by my house. And they'd give me like a hand. I mean, they loved me. Right. Because I was making like eight different loan officers, 30 grand a month in fee income. I mean, I was a beast. Right. I loved the challenge of that. I used to, I mean, I used to scan the loan submission sheet and fill it out digitally. And this is in 1996, like this was like magic. And so the underwriters loved me because like I would send them the cleanest, most organized, like color coded packages. You know what I mean? And I like would make them laugh and I would tell them jokes when they answered the phone. And like, even when they'd be like, ah, I would like make them laugh. And so that's when I learned that anything is possible. I learned that you can call Bank of America at 6.30 on a Friday, and get someone in a corporate office to do that VOD, even though it's not her job, because you can tap into her humanity and say, listen, this family's going to learn, lose their earnest money if this doesn't yeah. get done. Like, you got to, and people would, right? And i learned so much about life and negotiation and being on the right team and yeah. fighting for the right things and that anything is possible. It, uh, you just got to, like, do it.
0: In, was mortgage like the industry was that your first out of college, or did you have something else between that and college or i mean
1: so I graduated high school young so I'm an October baby, uh, and I went to George Mason University for about six months and uh quickly realized it was not the place for me okay. I was very, very uncomfortable there um just because like i I grew up in Falls Church, I had the same teacher for all of my subjects with thirty other kids for the f- first eight you know through eighth grade so i I was very sheltered i didn't know anybody i went to college my roommate never showed up and it was kind of it it was over before it got started you know yeah yeah um and after that i felt really guilty for wasting my parents money um because i'm the youngest of four and they were like you're gonna be the one right like you're gonna (laughs) you're gonna be the one that doesn't screw this up and i was like i don't know man this is a lot of pressure but um (laughs) I never liked school. I mean, if you can imagine me like <laughs> rebelling, I don't know. Two of uh, us, you
0: be know I mean? two of us yeah. on the same boat.
1: <laughs> I was like, "No." And so I um I dropped out of college and I took This is kind of a funny story. I dropped out of college. It was a week before finals. I got a phone book from Boston, yeah, uh, Massachusetts, and I I found a nanny agency because I had gone to the Arlington Career Center and I was certified to be a preschool teacher because I was early education one and two certified. So I, I found a nanny agency in Boston and I called them and they said, yeah, come on up. And so I left George Mason University on December 6, 1993 and I bought a one way ticket to Boston Right, my parents don't know any of this. Right, <laughs> they're gonna—they have no clue. They That's think awesome. I'm killing it That's at college, awesome. and meanwhile, awesome. I'm like, I gotta fucking skip town. Sorry, but like it's it okay. was, yeah. And so, that was a bad
0: winter. The winter of '93 was not a good dude, winter. I remember no, that winter. No, they a lot of to... ice storms.
1: A hundred percent. And I moved to Boston. I'm like, yeah, no big deal. It'll be fine. And, uh, yeah, so I moved to Boston literally in the middle of the night. I got in touch with the nanny agency. I they were, it turned out to be like a nanny agency in like Cape Cod. I like totally lucked out that I didn't like, you wouldn't even know me. I could have disappeared. Honestly, I'm 18 and like a day, you know, um, and cell phones didn't exist like pagers and you know what i'm saying like right, no one right. even knew that i was gone except for my like dipshit friends at george mason university <laughs> right who don't even know my parents so anyway <laughs> uh it's i got really lucky i found a nanny agency and i and i lived up there for six months as a live as a living nanny uh and when i came back is when i got into uh, uh real estate i my first job wow. was at first international mortgage Oh, yeah. uh, so I I, I was Tyson, like 18 Vienna. and a half, yeah. yeah. And I got a job as a receptionist uh, okay. at First International Mortgage and Tysons. And at it the time, it was an Iranian
0: guy. It was an Iranian guy.
1: Yeah, I can't think of his name right now. It was just Him and I used me. to work
0: Him and I used to work together. Yeah. Uh, at the uh, First Equitable and yeah. then he started First International.
1: Yes. So he
0: went from FEM to FIM, and it was a big to-do back then. You know? Oh,
1: <laughs> I can see that. And then I also worked for TM Mortgage. Remember TM yeah, Mortgage? Oh, yeah, yeah. They were like right in oh, yeah. of my
0: office on Lowesdale. I don't know if you were on Lowsdale Road or not, but that's where I was at.
1: I think so. Yeah, in Springfield?
0: Yeah. I just saw him yeah. recently at a restaurant somewhere. Or maybe I'm not surprised. It's like, not recently, sorry. it's about like six months ago. He, he's so. a, I'm not surprised, but yeah. Here's your question. You get burnt out at your last mortgage operation and you were doing 125 loans right those are second trust were yeah. equity so i piloted those by the way fyi <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, uh. <laughs> i know i know i know <laughs> i can tell you some really weird stuff about doing a 125 program but and then you know what you're like okay i'm done with this stuff and i'm just gonna like disappear from the planet for a while or research this well, or i mean <laughs> like you you go underground.
1: <laughs> well, so what happened is I got out of the industry, like right around like 2006, right? Something uh-huh. like that. And um, not a bad
0: time to get out by the way. That was like about as timely oh, yeah. as you could have made it.
1: Oh, the writing was on the wall. I was like looking around. I had already like gotten hip to what was going on. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what's happening here. And I got <laughs> out. And, uh, but really what, what, what happened is uh, when I was born, I was like, uh, Born with a rare congenital birth defect and I wasn't supposed to live more than 20 years so I had a team of doctors oh, wow. at Bethesda Naval my entire childhood and I grew super fast I'm like the opposite of Benjamin Button I just grew really fast as a kid okay. so I basically I've looked and sounded like this since fourth grade you know what I mean like uh wow. yeah cool. um, well yeah I, I was able to buy beer underage as a child so, that, <laughs> so that's where my mind had gone <laughs> so not the best benefit now but as a young teenager that was that was pretty cool but um no i i just so i have really weak bones and so in 2006 i broke my neck uh i was bartending on the weekends and working the mortgage business during the week and i uh just from the pressure i snapped a vertebrae in my neck and i was like in the er three times that week and then finally admitted so the night before my 31st birthday I had a spinal surgery, you know, and it was very confusing. I was in more pain than I've ever been in my entire life because the vertebrae broke and had moved, and so it was pinching a bunch of nerves. It was the most painful. You could have just, like, punched me in the face, and it would have brought me relief from what I was feeling. Wow. And um, I had the surgery, and I came out of it, and I definitely had, like, PTSD because it just kind of hit you out of nowhere, and I thought that I was making, like, lucid decisions, but then after, Mm -hmm. like, a month later, I was like, what just happened? (laughs) Like, why? Like... Um, but anyway, when you lay in a when you lay in a hospital bed, you know, primarily alone and you know, they're going to operate on your spine the next morning, yeah. you ask yourself a lot of really important questions, you know? Like, yeah. Are you good? Like self, like, are you good? Like if you die tomorrow, are you good? Like, are oh. you cool with what you've done? Are you cool yeah. with who you are? Like, are you good, man? And I was good, but I could have been better and I wasn't done. Yeah. And having that little bit of reflection made it really easy for me to say, no, 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 you're either part of the problem or you're part of the solution. And I don't always know what that answer looks like, but at the time, the mortgage industry, it was part of the problem. Mm-hmm. As we yeah. later witnessed when the CEO of Freddie Mac hung himself in his own house, right? Like that's yeah. a problem and we'll probably no, never mean- know what
0: we uh we, we survived that i mean it was crazy during those time period but i want to fast forward a little bit one thing real quick I, I yesterday in something you just said i don't know who said it to me or where i heard it but i know it was yesterday and it really motivated <laughs> me and it said i haven't come this far just to be this far hmm. you know what i mean like what you're yeah. just kind of talking about like are you cool are you are you, you know i mean or is there is there something more to be done yeah and, and, and it's been like, that was like all in my head yesterday. And just kind of kind of bounced it back up again, because to me, I always feel like there's something bigger than, than what I'm doing. Me too. I, you know what I mean? And there's something like a bigger calling. How are they? And, and so for me, I, I've always loved the mortgage industry. So I've always kind of incorporated inside the mortgage industry. Being a musician, I wish I could have done my career there. I would have never, hmm. I'm the last guy to ever talk about finance right i never thought for sure that i'd live past 28 you know what i mean but hey that's another another trust me i do yeah (laughs) um so you start hardcast media and i really want to dive into this molly because this is where the 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 the, my 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 question comes in is you specifically with hardcast media like dive into this whole podcast community Mm -hmm. right which is kind of like where where, where we are today in in the heart of a podcast right How hard is it, from your opinion, to start a brand new part podcast? Because I'll tell you, real quick, before you answer it, I was like, uh, (laughs) I don't know, like nobody could guide me in it, and I didn't. I mean, I'm not anything negative about the people that were there with that moment a year ago with me. Right? They didn't have any information either.
1: Most people don't. I mean. It's I'm not going to say it's a new industry because a bunch of like white dudes in their basement in Nebraska will get really upset. You know, like I know (laughs) I know people have been podcasting for a long time, but like it's more mainstream. Right. And I think it's because I'm honestly I blame slash thank Trump because I think people have hit a point in the last couple of years where they need to turn that off and now we're in this like post cable network world where you can like binge watch hulu or netflix like people are not willing to just have stuff like thrown at them all day okay and then with the environment i think people are on overload and they're like i want to listen to a podcast about cat mittens because i can't handle everything else or if you are willing to get some news you're gonna like curate right it's all about curation Okay. um and i think people are just like less interested and in i like especially right now i think we're all every single person in america should be seriously questioning their news sources
0: but i mean how difficult is it is, how difficult is it to start a podcast if someone's listening to us right now because i always encourage people to start their own podcast you know what i mean right. i'm always out there saying just go do it dude. it'll be fine you know i mean how hard yeah. is it really
1: i mean here's the thing it's not hard but you got to do it the right way. So it's like baking a cake, right? There's very specific okay. ingredients that you need and if you leave one of them out, it ain't going to work, right? You ever try to bake a cake without baking soda or baking powder or whichever one it is that makes it what it is, right? Like. It just doesn't work, and so so many people jump into it, and then a lot of people start them for narcissistic reasons, and then they, like, they do it, and they do all this work, and then like three people listen to it, and they're like, well, this isn't what I was trying to get, you know, <laughs> and then they give up, so it's really interesting, because 70% of podcasts don't make it past seven episodes, okay. and, on, and on Anchor, that, like, that free, like 90% of podcasts don't make it past one episode. Really? it's like it's like the florida podcasting
0: oh wow so for me i, I want to know this what makes a good podcast in european your you're you you've done a lot of podcast production that kind of stuff sure look i remember being in the in the being in, once again being in the music industry you write a song, you go to the studio recorded look at the engineer and say hey how'd you like it you're like yeah it was okay yeah,
1: good, yeah. <laughs> you're like what I you <laughs> get my
0: <laughs> whole heart Right, he just tried to earn his hundred twenty five bucks for the night, you know what I mean? Right. Doesn't care what the song is. But so you hear yeah. podcasts. Did anything stir you ever? I mean, what made a good podcast stand out to you?
1: I mean, for me it's all about like information and the quality of it and then just like really respecting people's time, you know? Um, and just like setting the tone and having a mission. From a production standpoint, obviously quality is really important. Having a good microphone, right, like those things make a difference. But like for me, it's all about impact. And so having a real plan with the podcast and reverse engineering it to get the. The, the end result that you're looking for, and a lot of people okay. don't even think about their end result, right? Hmm. They just like want to have a podcast, right? And so I'm sure like probably even you like you jumped in, you're like, this will be good for business. But now that you've done it for a year, you have very clear metrics on how it's been good for business, right? or how it hasn't?
0: Not really. <laughs>
1: okay, so so then I would say, this is a great time. I'm just messing, I'm
0: just messing, I'm just messing with okay. you. Okay, I was like, <laughs> no, there's no <laughs> I, way no, you No, no, it, it. It has, I mean, yeah. look, there's been exposure. People have come up and say they appreciate the content. Uh, People are paying the, attention. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're absolutely, Molly. I, I was just messing with it there. But yeah, okay. I mean, I, I enjoy the podcast. I enjoy doing it. I'm just trying to always improve it. and, and, yeah. and so. For me, it's always like, what's the next, how do I improve this? How do I make this better? How do, how many people can I, you know I mean? That kind of stuff. It.
1: Well, I think that right now, like right now, right now, like I think we need to talk about rebuilding things. We need to talk about like, how do we, you know, on all spectrums defund and demilitarize the police? How do we make things more, rec, you know, uh, racially equitable? How do we, how do we fix the corruption that's in the finance industry or any industry, like, right now i think a lot of americans are like okay we see these problems now you know at different journey times right but now we got we can't just be outraged and we can't just be posting angry articles all day like we start to need some solutions so i would say focusing on how your industry can start to be a part of the solution and talk to people and create content that talks about that because if people are listening to you you know maybe you could talk to some some black women in the industry about their experience, and maybe that'll illuminate what it's like mm-hmm. so they don't have to risk their jobs with the HR to say, Yo, this isn't exactly a friendly environment, right? Like, right. if maybe you can use it to empower people that way, I don't know. Maybe you can talk to people in the industry who are getting it right. Maybe you, can, I don't, you know, I don't know, but I always feel like using your skill set and your true integrity to kind of guide things is always good because right now, authenticity is everything.
0: Yeah. Is what's the weirdest podcast you've heard? Um <laughs> That wasn't even on you, I just thought of that what you were talking That's so funny. <laughs> I mean know, I've well, quirky ones, but what's the weirdest one you Well you've don't
1: heard? hate me, but I don't really listen to a lot of podcasts. <laughs> okay.
0: All right. I know. Fair. I know
1: that's kind of crazy, but I listen to them for research. I go through, I listen to the top 20. I give them all 10 minutes. I I think about what I like, what I don't like, what it sounds like. I'm looking at it from a totally different lens. You know, I listen to a lot of audio books, but I will say this. uh, One of my favorite quirky clients, uh, Nick Peters, he's not quirky. He's awesome. But his podcast is called Pharmacy to Dose. He's a pharmacy tech uh, that primarily serves the emergency room. Okay. So he wanted to start a podcast about the drugs they are using because there's all these new drugs and all these new reports and then different people using them and different results and so really they have to rely on each other the pharmacy techs to be able to share this information. So he created a podcast for that so he took my class like he followed all my advice he recorded in my studio and then he had he ended up moving out of the area so he got a mixer we trained him how to use it so now he's self producing. And within eight episodes, he had like fifteen thousand downloads and already had oh a God. book club, right? Oh my like God. what amazing yeah. because yeah. he he followed the you know the formula the
0: recipe for the cake
1: he he he, he <laughs> remembered the baking soda, you know yeah. what I mean right, right. and and it's where and he has a lovely voice, he's like very articulate, he's just he's a good like I listen to myself, and I'm like, "Woman, open your mouth, enunciate, right but like he's very like clear you know, really, really nice voice. Um, And so he's a pleasure to listen to. But, you know, if you think about it, right, like most people don't care about that information. But if you are a pharmacy tech in the emergency room, you probably had a pretty traumatizing day, especially the last few months. Last thing you want to do is go home and read medical journals, right? Right. So Nick has created a podcast that people can listen to and get information on dosages and warnings and all this other stuff that they're not going to get from like the pharmacy come you know the the you know pharma sure that sold him the drug or whatever right so it's so impactful and he's killing it you know and his goal was to get like paid to go speak at conventions and stuff like that about this stuff and so and that's well not anymore but that's exactly what he had lined himself up to do in like six months so i i love that like it can be as niche as you want you just gotta go you gotta go hard.
0: Yeah. You know what I mean? Are there too many podcasts now? It seems like everybody's got a podcast. I mean, you're talking about this pharma guy, and I'm like, wow, I mean, I would have never thought a pharmacist would ever done, it, right? Are there too many podcasts? No, absolutely okay. not.
1: There's not enough. And here's the thing. Everybody like a lot of people think there's like an oversaturation because there's mm-hmm. like nine hundred thousand podcasts. But if like like 800,000 of them aren't active. Like so many, like, yes, everybody starts a podcast. Who still has one a year later? You are in a very small club, my friend. A really? very, very small club.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The analytics I get actually was a surprise the other day. I was going through it. I get listeners in Philippines right now.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you're killing it, man.
0: I'm like, how the hell do I, you know I mean? I, and I'm like, in my, and see, this is my brain, right? Just welcome to Fabi's brain. Oh, somebody's just trying to listen to you so they can they can try to sell you mortgage leads or something in philippines not that somebody would actually enjoy my podcast but i can still go to the negative side of it
1: that's a long like and honestly if they do you should buy from them because that's <laughs> a, that's commitment I, i'm not doing that you know um yeah. yeah i mean you just that's the thing you just never know like and like i mean I say this all the time. There's no musical note that's never been played before. There's no word that's never been spoken. So mm-hmm. like,
0: you yeah, know, go kill it. Yeah. your
1: podcast is your podcast, right? And mine is mine, right? And like,
0: do you try to make the podcast your personality or do you try to switch into a uh, kind of like when I'm on stage, when I used to play it, I mean, you kind of go into different roles. Well, podcast, I have a like you use the word authentic. Yeah. Well, I I encourage
1: people to be authentic, for sure. Like, because people don't want, like, we just know when something's off, you know? Um, My podcast, personally, has totally suffered. It's like the cook who goes home and, you know, the chef who goes home and eats McDonald's. That's kind of like, I've definitely not put, you know, I have not been maintaining my podcast because, you know, I'm busy, right? And I just... I feel like right now I can be more impactful in affecting change by elevating other people's voices. Sure. You know sure. what I mean? So that's been my focus, but I definitely encourage people to be authentic. A lot of people get so buttoned up and I'm like, who, who was that? Like,
0: yeah. who just
1: stole your body for a second? Because that was uncomfortable, man. You know, like, our mutual
0: friend, them? Jeff Livingston, did a photo shoot of me about six, seven months ago. And it was the most interesting. And Jeff took me through this whole cycle of sh- photo shoots and everything. But I don't know what happened, Molly. And I, we're going through the pictures. And I'm like, you know, Jeff, I like the ones with me in a t-shirt. Yeah. And the guy that's wearing a suit and tie, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, I don't know who that guy is anymore. Yeah. And he goes, dude, you're finally getting real. Now, he's got a podcast also that I think was pretty... I love his intro with that heavy metal it's music. It's so bad. I love that. That's so
1: awesome. It's, it's so... It's awesomely bad. Yeah, for sure. Um, I love Jeff. his
0: personality, right? Yeah.
1: So yeah, I love Jeff. He's such a good egg. You know, he's such a good egg, man.
0: And he's an awesome photographer. I mean, you know, FYI, so anybody good. listening and needs a really good picture, Jeff Livingston. I saw yeah. it with a G, but my God. So you mentioned a podcast convention. Yeah. Walk me through this. I mean, is there really a podcast convention now? I mean, obviously nine hundred thousand oh, podcasts, right? I mean twenty thousand show convention. Really? Several. What's oh, that yeah. all about? I mean, what are they trying to sell? I mean, they're trying to sell mixers, mics, everything. Hosting logos? companies.
1: I mean, there's all kinds of software and stuff. Like, there's a company called Descript. Descript. Uh-huh. You can. This is so. This is terrifying, honestly. You can upload, like, a, let's say you have a 30-minute audio podcast. You can upload it to Descript, and it'll, like, clean up the audio, and it takes out some of the ums and the ahs automatically for you. But then it, like, it like writes the language or whatever, so, and then it gives you a written version of the text from the audio. You can go in and just, like, delete a sentence, and it'll take that sentence out. But this is where it gets really weird. You can type a new sentence in it, Oh. And it'll sample the voices from the audio recording to create an AI version and you can fabricate a sentence that oh was not God. said. Fucking terrifying. Sorry, I keep doing that. Oh, my that. God. Terrifying.
0: Oh, my God. That's nuts, dude. Right. Like, oh we're,
1: we're about to enter into this, like, deep fake society. Like, it's... a Because especially now that the lid's blown off and everybody knows how bad things are, they're going to be scrambling to fix things. And, like, this... Are you familiar with the deep fakes? How they can, like... Like, you've seen those videos where it like, it's, looks like Nancy Pelosi, but it's not. It's like completely c- computer-generated, yeah. right? Yeah. So they can do the same thing with voices. So like you could hear an audio tape of you saying something incredibly messed up because somebody sampled your voice and, yeah, and, I think, I, and I, put I mean, it together. I've seen that
0: for the last few years, the voice sample thing, but I didn't know that you could do it that easily. It's, and it's I like 20 bucks I, a month. Yeah, I thought it'd be something a little bit more, you know, mean something that you'd have to, like, go in and do all this cut and paste and edit and get the sound waves so you can see the signals and delete those. But, man, wow, it's just a $20. I was happy to get my audiograms made. I mean, I was like, dude, audiograms. I love audiograms. (laughs) (laughs) I was happy with that. I mean.
1: Yeah. You could just make a whole podcast out of nothing with the AI, like.
0: So let me ask you: These podcast conventions. I mean, how often do they occur? Are they going to be occurring? We talked about this with the with the pandemic. I mean, are you afraid to go to these things? I know of for course. me, I'm I'm, a, I'm not going to any, for the rest of the year. That's done.
1: Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, I'm I'm on the fence, right? Because I'm afraid too, uh, and I don't think they're going to happen. They're in October, but I also like the idea of being hopeful and optimistic uh, mm-hmm. for right now now come august i might be like oh hell no right like but for right now i just feel like i need something to hang on to you know um but no i'm totally aware and i don't know if they'll really happen or not and i mean it's really interesting to see like are we gonna see a spike are we gonna see a second wave my instinct says yes everything we're learning says yes but then like people are out and about and i don't i that the uncertainty of all of this is what's really hard for everyone so i'm just sort of like waiting
0: someone texted me yesterday said hey dude how you doing it's a buddy of mine from chicago just want to check in on you i said well you know dude i can tell you things are bad when relatives in pakistan are calling to check up on me because they're worried about me (laughs) they're like hey (laughs) if you need a place to crash come on back home (laughs) you know what i mean but in pakistan by the way just fyi the other day the prime minister imran khan He actually said, hey, listen, this coronavirus is something that we're all going to have to live with. We're going to have to get used to it. I can't keep the country shut down anymore. I can't afford to feed 100, because they have 130 million that are unable to feed themselves right now.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Yeah, 130, 140 million people that cannot feed themselves on a daily basis that the government has been feeding since this actually happened. And he just said, we can't do it. We economically can't afford it anymore. yeah i mean as a country they got to go forward
1: it's so terrifying man but i mean look what's happening right here people are protesting they're using tear gas on people which is like causing respiratory issues and forcing people to cough during a pandemic like we can talk about why tear gas is like first of all it's a war crime to use it but apparently americans can use it on their own citizens uh but, like, why is this even allowed to happen? right? Like this is the worst possible thing. Everybody's yelling, all these airdrop like it's just like, oh my God, it's terrible. and after we all just stayed home, all these days, people are risking their like literal lives to go out there and protest, yes, you know and the government's tear gassing them which is like the just just from a where we are in a pandemic standpoint is like the worst possible thing so i think that like we're just gonna have to see what happens in the next two weeks because what if there's, yeah. n- like, you know, what if there's not a huge outbreak, Bobby? Like, and don't get me wrong. I no, no, have lost know, friends to this. Told, I'm not I was a telling, denier. I
0: was, t- I was telling my wife that, you know, today was really the day that I was looking to see the, the test numbers on did we spike from the Memorial Day weekend. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I, I thought today, and there was a slight spike, but not a big spike, right?
1: Right. That's what and I'm so saying. It's it's a little bit, I don't know if it's just taking a little time. Because, you know, as you mentioned, I'm in North Carolina. Like, I came down here. Um, I got out of the lease at my house because I had an Airbnb. Like, it was just time to, like, just cut my expenses yeah. down. So, I figured I'll just hang out down here until uh So, are you still whenever. running
0: Hardcast Media out of North Carolina? Oh, now? yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. Business okay. is booming. We're doing really so well. If we're anybody wants
0: to, like, contact you and take your class. Yeah. Mean, Do you go to hardcastmedia.com or how does this all work?
1: Yeah, if you go to hardcastmedia.com and there's a tab at the top that says learn and there's an online course that you can take and um, it's a, you know, three hour class. It's got like 42 modules or something like that. I mean, it's a whole thing. Um, People can definitely take that class for sure.
0: Are people with experience coming taking the class or just inexperienced people
1: i've had people take the class and take the course and come to like my like q a's because i've had people take the class multiple times it's so much information and i created a custom trello board that you can build your podcast i mean it's super thorough um it's super I- super thorough
0: and are you doing these on online? I mean, virtual Zoom meetings, or is it just it's just self serve or self whatever? Yeah, you yeah, yourself through it.
1: So I have an online course that you can just take anytime, and then I do live versions of it on like Zoom about once a month. I was doing them in person at the studio, and then I kind of took a break, and then I started doing them again. I dropped the price on them because I'm you know my whole thing is I just want to empower people to have a voice especially right now so I'm like Mm -hmm. if you got some time in your home like and if I can if I can sell 20 tickets then I can charge significantly less and it still makes sense for my time but sure yeah I mean you know I think it's great that we're working remotely like we're producing high quality content for people remotely you know I build online courses for people too so I synthesize all their knowledge into like a curriculum that they can turn into a course uh, and I also build websites, so it's kind of like a full suite of digital audio and video media services that I offer.
0: What do you think about Joe rog- rog- Rogan getting $100 million yeah. on Spotify?
1: I mean, he doesn't. I mean, dude makes like $12 million <laughs> a year off of his like YouTube channel. He's like, whatever, man. I already got $150 million in the bank. <laughs>
0: I mean, so there's serious money that people are like looking for in oh, Spotify. Yeah. I mean, if it was for Spotify to really invest that kind of capital. And obviously there seems to be a battle between the two giants, now Spotify and Apple, I imagine, right?
1: Yeah, but I don't know how long Apple's going to get in a, stay in the game because Spotify is doing the right thing and they're paying content creators for that content, right? They're out here buying these podcast companies because they know it's the future of media. And Apple's just like, they can't even update their like search function.
0: But why Why is it on my numbers? I noticed that even though I promote Spotify more, I would just because I have an account with Spotify, quite honestly. Right. right. <laughs> I don't have an account with Apple. Um, mm. It seems like all my numbers come from Apple and not Spotify.
1: Yeah, because people like iTunes and a lot of – like the thing is the first place that you could listen to a podcast was on iTunes. Okay. So like a lot of people to go to that pod – you know, a lot, everybody with an iPhone is going to listen to podcasts on the podcast app on an iPhone. Now, everybody with an Android is gonna have like Stitcher or Deezer or Pocket. Like, I just feel like there's more, I mean, you can have those things on, a, on an Apple phone too, but Apple just like, because it's right there, I think that's right. like the standard for most people, so but.
0: We just, once again, we've just been bamboozled by Apple again.
1: Oh, for sure, because think about it, they pay the music, they pay the musicians on there. If you go to yeah. iTunes and you buy music I'm oh, sorry you get those artists get paid, but iTunes hasn't paid a single penny to content creators who have podcasts they podcasters built that entire half of their platform and never got a dime for it
0: Is it because they, they can get it for free they need the exposure or they're getting paid from advertisers or gotta be something there right
1: Because Apple is the devil I don't know I mean. <laughs> well you know the industry has just really changed right and so yeah i don't think people understand that they can get their own sponsors i mean we're seeing a lot of this right now with these hosting companies where it's like oh you know host with anchor it's free and we'll match you with advertisers like okay dude this is what they're gonna do they're gonna take your 50 plays and they're gonna pay you four cents you know like okay like this is not you know what i mean um this isn't it and people don't realize the powers in their relationships and so it's all about that it's like look man if you have 300 views for your podcast it's not a lot of views right but if it's very specific right and it has all these collateral benefits then then people will sponsor it so you're going to get a lot more by going to a company like a mortgage company and saying listen i want you to sponsor this podcast this will be good for business it'll get you visibility Yada, yada, exactly. yada. You're going to get a lot more money than if you let, you know, Anchor pay you for your podcast, right? So the whole thing is kind of a trap, honestly. But at least YouTube pays you. OK. I didn't so know if, that. if that's how Joe Rogan is making like twelve million billion a year off his YouTube channel because of all those views. And so, you know, if you don't pay for YouTube, all those ads pop up. And so Joe Rogan gets a couple pennies or dollars or whatever. So, wow. if you have a video that gets 10,000 plays, you're going to get a few bucks. But if that same video gets a million plays, you're making like 20, 30, 40, 50, $100,000 an episode.
0: I remember some little kid who reviews toys or something, right? Some five, six year old kid on, on YouTube who does that. And, and yeah. I heard he makes millions of dollars doing that.
1: Yep. Or his and parents do. And that's because just views. If you got 15 million views on a video, that means 15 million times it was played and that was 15 million opportunities for YouTube to serve somebody an ad, which Lexus paid for. So therefore you get a slice of that because it was your content, which I think is the most equitable way to get this done. Mm -hmm. Like, Hey, yeah. we're creating the content that you're slapping ads on. I want a piece of the pie, man. This is common Why sense not? to me, right? Yeah, now, absolutely. Apple might not be putting ads on their stuff, but they built an entire platform and they get all those traffic. And I guarantee you their money, getting money on the back end from somebody just from the user base, the email addresses, the data, they're making money off of us somehow. Right.
0: They're not, YouTube, they're not doing it for free. They're not right. doing it for free. Yeah, right. Absolutely.
1: Right. All absolutely. that bandwidth to host all those podcasts they are making some money on the back end. At least YouTube's like, I'll give you a, a few bucks of it. Like, cool.
0: <laughs> all right, Molly. Look, we are out of time here. I do have a question for you that I ask everybody that comes on our podcast cause we are called laugh, lend and eat. Um, i want to know is there a particular food that you crave that you like also like from a lot of times most of the guys i've got on here molly are mortgage guys who travel like i do right and so when you're traveling you start craving something when you get back home or whatever like Mm. comfort food or a cheat food for me it's always my boiled curried lentils over Mm. white rice oh you gotta give me that that recipe yeah with some pickled mangoes you know what i mean and i'm like i'm like i'm like in heaven (laughs) pickled mangoes i gotta get hip yeah yeah they're, they're very good Sp- spicy though <laughs> i'm I'm here for it um so what do you think what's your food food thing
1: my jam is uh th- thai green curry that's my jam oh, i right. make, it. You make it yourself You're i make you? it myself with like the legit like thai, like the legit green curry from thailand like not from the
0: grocery store Now, where you're at in in North Carolina, is there any good Thai food place around there? I don't
1: know. I'm not risking my life in this pandemic to go to restaurants,
0: (laughs) Bobby. I don't know.
1: Um, But I would have to say no, because I am in the (laughs) south. And so I don't suspect there's a ton of, you know.
0: Actually, Charlotte is amazing for food.
1: Yeah, well, so I'm uh, in Wilmington, but I am a little bit south of Wilmington, and and I'm on this, like, intercoastal inlet which is Carolina okay. Beach and Curry Beach. So I'm like, there's like, like, I can't even get mail here. I have to go, like, they call me, they call me from the post office and say, Molly, you have some Like, it's that That's small. Awesome. You know what I mean? That's so awesome. like,
0: yeah. And one last thing is, I can't believe that, Just a few weeks ago we had another molly on this podcast (gasps) i'll kill her i'm just kidding i'm sure she's a lovely person (laughs) it was an interest it was so i did when you just said molly i was like oh my god i just remember there's another molly on this podcast just a few weeks ago there's not a lot of mollies yeah
1: yeah well it's it's us and a lot of golden retrievers holding that name down you know what i mean like (laughs) people love to to name their dogs
0: molly they're like
1: oh it has red hair it must be irish name it molly and i'm like (laughs)
0: All right, buddy. Well, look, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come of on course. the show. I appreciate what you did for me last year. Of course. I, I thoroughly enjoy that place. I'm sorry it's no longer within your reign of, of, of ownership or whatever, and uh, we'll, we'll try to figure something else out. But yeah. obviously, if anyone wants to your class, hardcastmedia.com is the place to hook up and, and learn how to do this podcast that is now addictive to me as also.
1: That's awesome. Thank you, Fabi. All
0: right. Have a good day, Molly. Thank you. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, there it is, guys. Molly Rulon, and only as Molly Rulon can explain herself to be, uh, very passionate, very real. Um, you know, no, no, nothing held back, and uh, I loved every second of this podcast. Um, once again, thank you so much to First Option Mortgage. Thank you so much to One Good One, and thank you Molly for being so, just so true in this podcast. Have a good one, guys. Talk soon. Bye.